Genesis chapter number 18, verses 20 through 33. And uh, we find it interesting that in the ninth installment of the life of Abraham, we find a time of intercessory prayer in the life of Abraham. We know that nine many times deals with the Holy Spirit, uh, the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is one fruit, but it is ninefold. And the number nine many times deals with the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, we find that Abraham is praying. And I believe that is fitting, don't you? Because if we're going to pray for ourselves, pray for others, pray for our country, we need to do it in the Spirit as the Bible commands us to do so. But beginning in verse number 20, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall, be, uh, there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Pray with me tonight, if you will. Heavenly Father... Thank you so much for how you've already worked in our hearts in this service. Thank you for, Lord, the unction and power that you blessed us with this morning. I thank you, Lord, for those that did business with you and help them, Lord, to be genuine and sincere in that business and not faulting or failing. Lord, I want to thank you for the wonderful time in choir practice that was had. Lord, for the wonderful singing tonight and all that's taken place. But, Lord, help us as we draw our focus in on the preaching of your word to have our hearts laid open and bare before you. Lord, I pray that you do in us what needs to be done. Uh, Lord, just to be perfectly honest, I don't know the heart's needs of these people. But Lord, you do. I don't know what it's going to take to affect their lives. But Lord, you do. And God, I don't know what it is exactly that should be spoken. But Lord, you do. And so, Father, I confess my inability. Plead for your presence and your power. Lord, I ask that you do a work that would not soon be forgotten in our hearts and lives. Lord, if there's one amongst us that's lost... 
Convict them of their lost state. Point them to Calvary, Lord. Show them the Savior. And I pray they'd be saved tonight. But Lord, whatever the need is, meet it. And we'll be sure to give you the glory and the honor, Lord. You deserve it. Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. As we read this passage, I feel like many times we ask the wrong questions about this passage. Now, you may have never studied this before. I have. You may have never read this passage before. I have. And I know in my own experience, I found myself asking the wrong questions and looking at the wrong things. Now, it's not wrong to ask a question. But I found that many times I missed the emphasis of this passage. And one of the uh, short questions that most people ask is, why did Abraham ask the Lord six times? And why did he continue to drop the number that would be required for the saving of Sodom? Well, I believe that's a valid question. I believe there's much more in this passage that we can focus our attention on. Now, we're going to get to that here in a few moments. But in this passage, as we've studied faith in the life of Abraham, we find that the influence of Abraham's faith is not only at this point internal, but it becomes external. Abraham is a man of faith, and he walks by faith, and God moves in his life through faith, and he pleases God through faith, and he sees things that are unseeable through faith, and he does things that are undoable, but he does them through faith. And you know, that's a Christian life. You and I, as we walk with God, it's a walk of faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. You say, I want to please God. You're going to have to do it by faith. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. If you want to see things and understand things that you don't understand, you're going to do it by faith. The Bible says, by uh, the faith we understand. The truth of the matter is, anything you're going to do in your Christian walk, faith is going to be a part of it. And so it's fitting that one of the first men of the Bible that's given great emphasis in the narrative of their life would be a man of faith. Now, we've seen the journey. We've seen him leave his family and his friends in his country. And we've seen him uh, go down into Egypt. And we've seen him come back out of Egypt. And we've seen God intervene on his behalf. But now we come into a time in which uh, the Lord is speaking to Abraham, but Abraham is speaking to the Lord too. Abraham's not speaking about himself, but Abraham is speaking about another. And so as titling this message, I've titled it for the sake of alliteration and continuity. I've titled this Faith Defending. Abraham is using his faith to go on another's behalf and to try to intervene in their life. Do you know what that is? That's called intercessory prayer. Other than fasting, I believe intercessory prayer is probably the least implemented area of the Christian's arsenal in this day that we live in. Most of the time we go to pray, we're praying for us. Most of the time when we go to pray and we pray for others, we pray generically. Amen? I mean, that's true, isn't it? We pray for somebody and what do we pray for? Lord, help them. Now, it's not wrong to pray that, but what do you mean by that? Lord, help them get in a car wreck? Is that what you mean by it? Lord, help them to catch the flu? No. But you're not being specific with God. Now, I know God knows our hearts. But the Bible beckons us to pray distinctly. Every great prayer warrior in the Word of God prayed particularly over a matter. But we find in this passage that Abraham is praying, and he's praying for the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. Don't misunderstand it. In this passage, Abraham is not, at least not with his words, he's not praying specifically for Lot. He's praying for the city. 
But we find that many times what we're praying to God about contains the heart of our prayer. And let me tell you something. I'm thankful the Lord knows how to look through our politeness and look through our manners and look through our uh, lip worship and lip service and get to the heart of what we really need, aren't you? I know many times when I prayed for stuff, I beat around the bush, and I'm sure if God could have uh, spoken audibly, He would have said, Get to the point, son. Get to the point. And in this passage, uh, I kind of think maybe the Lord was trying to get to the heart of the matter. You see, let me tell you something. Abraham wasn't concerned about 50 in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham wasn't concerned about 40 in Sodom and Gomorrah, or 45, or 30, or 20, or even 10. Abraham was concerned about one family in Sodom and Gomorrah. One family. And that was the family of his nephew Lot. And so Abraham goes before the Lord and begins to plead his case. Now, I don't know if you realize how deep a waters we're in tonight. I can't tell you that I understand everything about intercessory prayer. I know a man has free will. Don't you believe that? man has free will. man can make a choice. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and said, Choose you this day. Choose. He didn't say the choice is made for you and discover it. He said, Choose you. We have free will. I know we have a sovereign God. He doeth whatsoever He will. There's nothing, listen to me, there's nothing that can impede or impose upon God's sovereignty. And I believe in a sovereign God. Uh, sometimes it's hard to ra- rationalize and recognize that free will and that sovereignty in, in, in one area. But do you know that I don't have to reconcile everything about God to have faith in Him? You see, we're dealing with the sovereignty of God. We're dealing with the free will of man. We're dealing with the third element. We're dealing with the prayer life of the believer. And I, there's a lot I don't understand. I'm just going to be honest. Your preacher's going to be honest with you now. There's a lot I don't understand. Let me tell you something. If you ever, if I, if I go out here and one of my church members shoots me dead, which is likely to happen, and you get you another pastor, and he gets up here, and, and, and he says, now I know everything there is to know about the Word of God. You take him out of those double doors on a pole and call him a liar, because he doesn't. I don't know anybody that does. There's a lot I'm learning. But I do know this, that intercessory prayer is commanded in the Word of God. And intercessory prayer works in the Word of God. Paul believed in intercessory prayer. He said, Brethren, my heart's prayer and desire for Israel is that they might be saved. Some people believe in intercessory prayer about temporal matters, but not about spiritual matters. I think that's hogwash. I think we've got a God that's more concerned with the spiritual than He is the temporal. And some people believe in intercessory prayer about spiritual matters in a person's life, but not salvation. I don't believe that because Paul didn't say, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be good people or that they might walk closer to the Lord or that they might have a nice home or that they might have a nice vehicle or that they might have nice clothes. He said it's that they might be saved. And I believe it's scriptural to pray for people's salvation. But we find in this particular passage, in the context of the Old Testament economy, that Abraham is praying for the deliverance of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I think it's safe to say, more or less, for the deliverance of Lot and his family. And I believe you and I are beckoned to intercessory prayer. When was the last time you grabbed hold of the horns of the altar for someone other than yourself? Now, I'm not talking about, Lord, help them. I'm talking about a specific need in their life that you went before an almighty God and said, Lord, I've come to talk to you about them and about this need. I believe we're commanded to it. We find in this passage, and I'm just going to give it to you kind of quick tonight. I'm going to try to anyways. I want us to notice that there is an examination that's spoken of. What motivates us to intercessory prayer? What causes us to go before God on someone else's behalf? Look at verse 20. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, 
And because their sin is grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know it. Let me put it in just simple language. The Lord says, I'm going down to take inventory in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going down to Sodom and Gomorrah to find out if what I've heard they've been doing is what they have been doing. And let me say, there was a coming judgment to the place of His loved one. Let me tell you something, church, and this is true for saved and unsaved alive. There's judgment coming. The Bible says it begins first at the house of God, too. It's coming for saved and unsaved both. Now, I understand the different judgments. I understand you've got a great white throne judgment. I understand you have the judgment seat of Christ. I don't believe in one general resurrection. I don't believe in one general judgment. But I do believe that both believers and unbelievers are going to stand before a throne one day and give an account for what they've done in their lives. And so some of you have loved ones and you don't believe they're saved. Time's not going to go on forever. I mean, and you know, the sad truth of it is, most of the time we have to spend half of our life or more before we realize how precious time is. It's not going to go on forever. It's not going to just keep going on. That loved one that you've got that's kicking against the pricks and rejecting Christ, they're not going to be given grace forever. There'll come a day when they'll stand before God. If that doesn't send cold chills down our back, I'd worry that we're dead. That our loved ones, listen to me, my family members... My family members. I don't know many of your family members. I've got family members. I've got people I can put in my mind right now. I've got people I could call their name right now. I've got people I could tell you how I'm related to them right now that I have every reason to believe, and I can't see any man's heart, but I have every reason to believe that should the Lord return right now or should they be taken out of this world, they go to a devil's hell. That ought to grieve me. That ought to burden me. And we love shouting. I'm, a, I'm pro-shout. I am. I appreciate shouting. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I wish we had more of it around here. But let me tell you something. There's a time to shout. There's a time to weep. And I believe in our heart of hearts, we ought to get serious about our loved ones because there's an examination coming. We see an awareness spoken of. The Lord said, I've heard about what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you something, Christians. The Lord's aware of what you're doing in your life. Your preacher may not, your church members may not, your spouse may not, but in the deepest, darkest corners of your heart, there's nothing you'll hide from God. He's aware of what's taking place in your heart, in your life. You may bury that thing deep, neighbor, but God is aware of it. Nobody knew about Achan's sin. Listen to me, there wasn't a single person in that camp that could have told Joshua where he had that stuff buried or even that he did have it buried. And by the way, uh, you know, the righteous hide their sin. You know that? <laughs> They always do. But there was a God in heaven that knew exactly where that gold, that silver, and that Babylonian garment was. And I don't know what it is in your life, and it may not be anything. I don't mean to be presumptuous. I don't know your life. I don't know your heart. But there may be something in your life that you've buried in the floor of your tent, and you think nobody's aware of it. You think you've got away with it. And it may not even be something that's external either. It may be an attitude of the heart. You may have bitterness in your life. You may have hatred in your life. You may have lust in your heart. But whatever it is, you think you've got that thing buried under your tent floor. But there's a God in heaven that's aware of what's going on in your life. He sees it. He knows. We see an awareness or a word of awareness. But I like this. You ever make up words? Brother Jerry, you ever make up words for an outline? I do that sometimes. Most people don't own a dictionary anymore. It don't matter. There's a word of awareness, but there's a word of bewareness. <laughs> How do you like that? 
there's a word of awareness given. He said, I not only know, I'm coming and you're going to have to answer for it. He said, I'm going down to Sodom and Gomorrah and they're going to have to face me. Paul in his life spoke of two days. Actually, he spoke of three days, technically. He spoke of a day on a Damascus road when he met the Lord. And he spoke of the splendor and he spoke of the wonder. And I don't know that there's anybody that we have a historical narrative of their life that we could be more sure that they knew the Lord than Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. He knew God and he spoke of that day. Christians, listen to me. We ought to speak of that day often. We, we've taken this matter of soul winning. And, I, and I'm for it. Listen, I'm for the Romans road. I'm for whatever, uh, you know, I'm for the ABCs. I'm for the, you know, the, the Philippian highway. I mean, you name it, I'm for it. If it'll help you lead someone to the Lord and it don't compromise God's Word, I'm not against it. But when Paul stood up, he didn't preach the doctrines of Romans, did he? He could have. God used him to write it. When he stood up, what did he do? He beckoned with his hand said, Men and brethren, <laughs> and they just, let me just say what I would imagine it would look like. Paul stood up on them steps and said, Did I ever tell you, fellas, about a day on a Damascus road when I saw the Lord? And, and I, I kindly think, don't you wonder if old Luke, I think Luke was more spiritual than this. Most of us, if we was Luke, uh, we would have just quit recording it. We would have got aggravated, got tired of hearing it. I think Luke loved hearing it. And time and time again, Luke records that testimony. And I believe that's only a handful of the times. And every time Paul got in a group of people, he didn't say, men and brethren, let me tell you what's great about being an independent Baptist. He didn't say, men and brethren, let me tell you why you ought to be baptized. Men and brethren, let me tell you what's great about the Rotary Club. He stood up, he said, men and brethren, let me tell you about a fellow I met on Damascus Road. Let me tell you about a light that I saw shine from heaven. Let me tell you about a God that knocked me off my high horse. Let me tell you about a God that blinded my eyes that they might be forever open. Let me tell you about a God that called my name and showed me my need of Him. Let me tell you about a God that I know. We see that, that He spoke of that day. And then He spoke of today. Today. He spoke of the opportunities that we have. You have opportunities. I have opportunities. No man ever grasped his hand around any day other than today. No man has ever took hold of yesterday. No man will ever take hold of tomorrow. It's always unreachable, but today is what we have. And he spoke of the opportunities that we have. But then he spoke of another day. And us Christians, we like, we like that Damascus Road day. And us Christians, we like that today part. But he spoke of another day. He spoke of a day in which he'd stand before God and answer for the things that he'd done. Let me tell you what Paul said about it before you shout. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And you see, I believe if Paul preached on the judgment seat of Christ, I believe if Paul preached on the return of the Lord, I mean, we like to read the passages. We like to, to read, therefore the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. We like to read that. We like to read how in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, we shall be changed. We like to read how our vile bodies shall be changed like unto His glorious body. But I believe if Paul had one message about the return of Christ to preach to you and me as believers, it would be knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. You see, I believe old Paul, even though he looked forward to being with the Lord, I don't believe he looked forward to the judgment seat. And let me tell you something, if Paul was scared of it, you and I ought to be terrified of it. If Paul was aware that he would have to answer, and it tore him in two. 
I mean, Paul was a man. You know what he said? And you say, oh, that's because Paul, that's because Paul had been such a bad person in his early life. He said, I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorance. That's what he said about his life before Calvary. They're washed. They're gone. His sins are forgiven. He's talking about what he's done as a believer. He says, I'm going to answer for that one day. I'm going to answer for when I've gotten the flesh. I'm going to answer for when I've been prayerless. I'm going to answer for when I've lusted. I'm going to answer for when I lie. I'm going to stand before God and give an account for every idle word. Paul said it terrifies me. Terrifies me. The Lord one day is going to bring us into account over these things. There's a word of awareness. But there's a word of fairness. He says, if not, I will know. That tells me something. God is not an unjust God. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you've done in your life that was wrong and what you've done that wasn't wrong. And He says, I'll know. It's going to be fair. Abraham said, shall the judge of all the earth not do right? He speaks of this examination that's coming. And that ought to motivate us to a life of intercessory prayer for our loved ones. Some of you have children that need the Lord, grandchildren that need the Lord, nieces and nephews that need God in their life, mamas and daddies that are estranged from God. And it ought to move us to prayer to know that they're not going to be given grace forever, but one of these days they'll answer for it. That's what moved Abraham. He was standing there walking with the Lord. And the Lord had said, Shall I hide the thing that I do from Abraham? The Lord turned and spoke. We don't find Abraham praying in an intercessory manner before this. But when God said, I'm fixing to reckon things in Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, it's time to pray. It moved him to prayer. And some of your loved ones, it ought to move you onto your knees before God. We see an examination, but we see an intercession that takes place. What is intercessory prayer? I want you to notice first off that Abraham stood before the Lord. That's what the text says. In other words, he made a place, made a time to appear before God. Let me tell you something. Uh, we've taken our prayer life and we've pushed it to the back burner. And it's become a non-issue and it's become non-important. But Abraham had been with God. Listen to me. Abraham had been with God. He had been talking to God. He'd had God in his home. He'd been speaking with the Lord about the things in his life. It's not that Abraham had not been speaking to the Lord, but now he takes a place of standing in a position to intercede. What did the Bible say? I look, the God looketh for a man, stand in the gap, make up the hedge. Some of you, if you don't pray for your family, no one will. Some of you have no one standing in that gap with you. Some, uh, some of you, if you don't pray for your co do you pray for your co-worker? I'm not asking for a raise of hands. I'm asking for a raise of hearts to the Lord. Do you pray for your co-workers? It, listen, some of you, you're the only Christian in your office. Some of you, you're the only Christian in your workplace. And if you're not praying for your co-workers, let me tell you something. Their lost family's not praying for them. If you don't do it, no one will. You've got to determine that you're going to stand and make up that hedge, and be in that place of intercession. It's a deliberate thing that you do. And by the way, listen, it's not something you just tag on to your regular prayer life either. It's not something that you just say, well, I'm going to take a minute or two here and pray for so-and-so. Abraham wasn't talking to God about anything else at this time. He's talking to him about one thing, Sodom and Gomorrah and his family, his nephew Lot.
It was specific. When you pray for someone, I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to get along with God. Don't pray about anything else. Now, I'm not saying that you ought to uh, ignore your other prayer life. I'm talking about you ought to have an extra time that you get along with God. You've got a son, you've got a daughter that's lost without Christ. You've got a grandson, a granddaughter. You need to set you aside a time that you get along with God, that you're not praying for the church, you're not praying for the country, you're not praying for revival, you're not praying for your temporal needs, you're not praying for your health, but you're getting along to go before the presence of God over this one matter so you don't get distracted. He stood... I want you to notice he, he not only stood uh, with the Lord, uh, but I want you to notice he scooted closer to him. It says that Abraham drew near. What does that mean? I believe it implies a couple things. One of them is he, he was standing before the Lord, but he moved into his presence for the purpose of speaking. And I believe that speaks of the prayer that we just talked about. But I believe there's something that's pictured here. And I believe it's this. If we're going to pray intercessory prayer, for another person's life, it requires that we be right in our own heart and life. We've got to draw near to God if we're going to have any power in our lives. We've come to a day where we've taken the idiosyncrasies, the mannerisms, the culture, the climate of old-time Christianity, and we've left the power of it. And what's happened is we've, we've began to think that God did what He did because of what men did, and that wasn't it. God did what He did because of how men were with Him. There's a difference. You understand what I mean? Old-time Christians, the reason God honored it was not because they were sweet. It wasn't because they were kind. It was because they got alone with God and had a prayer life with Him and they drew close to the Lord. We've got all the machinery of the matter and we think that's good enough and it's not. You know what that is? Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. We've got all the form of godliness. We've got enough form of godliness in the church today to make God sick. And we've got no power. Why is that? We've taken the machinery, but we've left out the gasoline. We've got the machinery, but we've got no oil. We've got the machinery, but we have no power. It requires that we draw near to God. Let me tell you something. You say, what does it matter if I sin? It may mean the salvation of your loved ones. Don't call me a heretic on that. I'm not saying that somebody's going to be saved because you're a good person. I'm saying that your prayers can make a difference in the life of someone else. And you live your life out of step and out of tune with God, out of fellowship with Him. You're not on praying ground when you need to be on praying. Let me ask you something. In the middle of any given day, could someone call you and say, they're taking my son to the hospital. Head is hemorrhaging. They don't expect him to live. He doesn't know the Lord. And I need you to pray. In the middle of any given day. Or would you have to get along with God? I'll tell you why most people don't pray in an intercessory manner. It takes all their prayer time just to get right with God. I mean day after day after day after day. And that's why most of our prayers are filled with what they are. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have things to confess before the Lord. And I don't know, you may be Church of Christ. You may go through your day and think you don't do a thing wrong. This preacher does things wrong every single day. But let me tell you something. We ought to live close enough to God that when we get on our knees with Him... It doesn't take us 15, 20 minutes just to confess everything we've done that day. I mean, something's wrong when that's the case, church. It ought to be that we can deal with these things and address them, and you ought to. You ought to get them clean before the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible to be used, brethren. I believe we ought to. But I believe we need to understand that if we can't get onto praying ground for somebody else, it could make a difference in their eternity. 
A lot of people in heaven because of a praying grandmama. Isn't that true? Let me ask you something. You don't have to raise your hand for this if you don't want to. But how many of you believe you got saved because someone was praying for you? Yeah. <laughs> I know I did. I know that, listen, 10-year-old boy alone in his bedroom, no one to goad him, no one to push him. The Spirit of God just fell on him and convicted him, made him aware of his lost state. He came to know Christ. You can't tell me nobody was praying for me. It made a difference in your life. So that tells me something. You don't stay on praying ground with God, it could make a difference in someone else's life. We see that he scooted closer to the Lord. That's good country language. Scooted. Scooted. <laughs> but he spoke to the Lord. He spoke, and he spoke specifically. Abraham did not pray for all the five cities there in the Vale of Siddim. Abraham did not pray for all of the Middle East. And I don't think it was wrong to do that. I don't think it's wrong to pray for the lost in general. I don't think it's wrong to pray for your country, for your state, and for your government. We're commanded to do that. But I believe that we as Christians need to get down to the business of praying to God and lifting names up to Him. I'll tell you why we, don't ever, why we don't pray more. We pray generally. We receive answers generally. And so we generally don't praise God over it. We pray, God, when was the last time you asked God or thank God for, for blessing food to your body? Don't be a hypocrite now. You know, that, you know we don't do that. Most of us don't. I mean, maybe occasionally. But you know most of us don't. The truth is we pray generally. We're going to receive answers generally. If you, if you get alone with God and pray for something specific, I'm talking specific, and you see God intervene in that matter, that gives you something to shout about. That gives you a reason to get back in the prayer closet. That give, listen, I can't tell you how many times. Sitting in the hospital, Lou Milligan, Mary Lou Milligan, we prayed for her, and they, when they were opening her up, opening her lungs up, they weren't opening up to find out if she did have cancer. They were opening up to find out how much cancer they had, that she had and how bad it was. And we got alone in the hospital. We, we prayed for her, and the church was praying for her. We weren't praying for Mary Lou Milligan just to get closer to the Lord. We weren't praying just for Mary Lou Milligan to have a good day. And we weren't just praying for Mary Lou Milligan uh, to have a closer walk with God. We were praying for Mary Lou Milligan to be healed from the cancer in her body. Now, it's not always God's will to heal. They opened her up. They came back early from the surgery. And if you've ever sat with people in a hospital, you know that's either really good or it's really bad. And they came back after an, about an hour. supposed to be two, three-hour surgery. And they came back. And you can see it on the family's face. Oh, my. And they came back and they said, you know, funny thing, we opened her up. Not a lick of cancer. A lick of cancer. Now, that's God did that. That's not surgeons did that. They didn't go in there to fix it. They, go in, they went in to find out about it. They didn't do that. Not on a single lick of chemo. And the tests they had run were definitive. You ever wonder why so many doctors know God? They see His handiwork. They see His handiwork. Let me tell you what made a difference in that matter. And I'm not bragging on this preacher. I was probably the most carnal person praying for. But what made a difference was the saints of God lifting up her name, her need, and calling on the Lord to do a work in her life specifically. We see His intercession that He spoke to the Lord. And He began to pray. Abraham mentioned some things. He mentioned about the sovereignty of God. I don't believe, listen to me, now you believe what you want about this, but I don't believe that Abraham was trying to be rude or disrespectful to the Lord when he said, shall the judge of all the earth not do right. I don't believe that's what he was trying to do. What I believe he was doing, you see, it had been revealed through Scripture, 
through the Word of God, through the stories that had been given, through the revelation given to Adam, it had been revealed that God was a God of justness and judgment. That He was the God of this earth. I have no doubt that, that Adam told his, his children, his children told their children, and it had been revealed that God was a God of justice and judgment. And so let me tell you what I believe that Abraham was doing. I believe he was calling out the promise of God unto the Lord. Now listen to me. I don't believe in name it and claim it. I'd drive a nicer vehicle if I did. Amen. Somebody say amen right there. Live in a bigger house. <laughs> I don't believe in name it and claim it. I don't believe we can put words in God's mouth. But I'll tell you what I believe we can do. I believe we can take the words that God has given to us and bring them in our prayer closet before the Lord and say, you know, Lord, you promised you'd do this. You promised you'd do this. And I believe that's what Abraham was doing. I believe he was saying, Lord, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I'm just merely saying that I don't understand this. And you're the judge of all the earth. And Lord, I know you're going to do the right thing. And I believe it's scriptural to get in the prayer closet and say, Lord, you told me if I asked, I'd receive. You told me if I knocked, it'd be opened unto me. You told me if I'd pray. If I prayed in Jesus' name. Now, that's not a little tag. that you. That's not open sesame or abracadabra. That means praying with the glory of God and the purpose and cause of Christ in mind and seeking His will above all others. But if we pray things in His name, the Bible says we receive them. And let me tell you something. A lot of people, it's not wrong to pray for temporal things. Don't think that for one moment. But a lot of times our prayers are filled with temporal matters instead of the spiritual needs of others. And I do believe it's sin when they're misbalanced. I don't believe it's wrong to pray for a new car, a new house, new clothes, whatever it is. But don't, get your, don't let your prayer closet get so misbalanced that you treat God like Santa Claus. We find that he spoke to the Lord. And he spoke of the sovereignty of God. He said, shall the judge of all the earth not do right? Intercessory prayer, one of the most confusing matters of intercessory prayer is this. Many times people believe intercessory prayer to be saints forcing the hand of God to be subjected to their will. And that's not what intercessory prayer is. That's name it and claim it. Uh, I won't even call it Christianity. Let me tell you what intercessory prayer is. You remember in the book of Mark, when they saw this man who was sick of the palsy, they heard that Jesus was preaching in town. And so they, they picked him up. They all four picked him up. And they carried him to this house. This is where most Baptists would have quit on him. Most Baptists would have bought him a new pair of shoes and a sandwich and said, Sorry. <laughs> They came, and the place was packed, full, people hearing the Word of God, Christ in the midst of preaching. And so they said, well, boys, what are we going to do? And so they each picked up a corner. I can see people griping right here, can't you? <laughs> I can see people starting to gripe. Well, I didn't sign on for this. Can't you hear that? Don't that just sound like like, like people? I didn't sign on for this. I just, I, I just was going to carry him to the house. I didn't sign on for all this work. And I can see them saying, well, we don't even know what we're going to do. That's faith. Amen? Well, I don't see how this is going to work. That's faith. I'm not talking about stumbling around in the dark. I'm talking about doing what God's told you to do even when it seems impossible. That's faith. I'm sure they said, well, what are we going to do? We're going to go up onto the roof. Why are we going to take him up on the roof? And I, Boy, I bet there's some old salty fellow that said, shut up, pick up your corner and let's go. Amen? And so they picked it up and they went up to the roof. They said, well, huh, he ain't got a skylight. And so they began on that flat roof in those Middle Eastern countries. They began to take and to tear away the leaves and the mud and to make a hole. I'm sure somebody said, who's going to pay for this? <laughs> they tore it open and they let that man down into the presence of God. And it says something very interesting. The Bible says about Christ when he saw their faith. Their faith. 
It doesn't say when he saw his faith. Now, I think, I think his faith was included in their faith. I think when he's saying there, he's talking about those four men, but he's talking about that man too. And I think when we're speaking of the saving element of faith or salvific faith, he's speaking of that man's faith that's sick of the palsy. He believed that God could forgive his sins. He believed that God could heal him. But I believe he's also recognizing the faith of those four men that made up their minds that come what may, they're going to get this man to the presence of God and let God do something in his heart and life. Now, let me tell you what intercessory prayer is. Intercessory prayer is recognizing God's willingness and want to to save each and every person and trying to ask God to do something in their life to get their attention. Every man has free will. Every man makes his own choice. doesn't matter who it is. People die and go to hell not because they're bad people, but because they've rejected the Son of God. People die and go to heaven not because they're good people, but because they've been robed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's a choice that every single person is going to make in this world. You're not praying that their free will is going to be imposed upon. You're praying that their circumstances are going to be intruded upon. That's what you're praying for. You're praying that God's going to get their attention to a work in their heart and life. He recognized the sovereignty of God. He recognized in whose stead... The prayer was being asked. He said, I'm but dust and ashes. What's Abraham saying? Abraham's saying, Lord, it's not me. It's not mine account. It's not going to be the reason that you answer these prayers. I'm but dust. I'm but ashes. But I believe Abraham's mind was recalled back to a time when God pulled him into a covenant relationship and made a connection and made a promise to him. Abraham understood that him and God were yoked together in a promise. And so God would hear his prayers. Let me tell you, when you're praying intercessory prayer, or any prayer for that matter, God doesn't hear you because He loves you. You hear me? There's, God loves every single lost person in this world. But they don't have a prayer life. God doesn't hear you because you're such a good person. A lot of good people on their way to hell. A lot of bad people saved by the grace of God. It's not because you're a good person. It's not even just because He loves you. Love in and of itself is insufficient. Let me tell you the only reason that He hears you. The Bible says, For we have such an high priest as been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'll tell you the reason that God in heaven hears you when you pray. It's not because you're a good person. It's because He's a good intercessor. When we make intercession for somebody, somebody's making intercession for us. When we pray, we've got an intercessor. The Bible says, and He ever liveth to make intercession for us. The only reason we can draw, become boldly before the throne of God is because we have a high priest that's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Abraham says, God, I know you have no reason to listen to me, but you pulled me into a covenant relationship by a blood sacrifice, and now I'm part of your family. And Lord, because of what you did for me, I'm asking you to do something else. That's why He answers our prayers. Because we're robed in the righteousness of Christ and we're made joint heirs with the Son. That's why He answers our prayers. We see this intercession. But finally, and I'm just going to give this to you story style. Not enough time to read the passages or to preach it. We see an intervention that takes place. We find that God did not answer Abraham's prayer. At least not in the fashion Abraham prayed it. Abraham prayed and said, Lord, if there's but ten people that are righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, then don't destroy the city. And the Lord kept His word. He said, if I find ten, I'm not going to do it. He got there and there wasn't. In fact, the only, the only person that was in Sodom and Gomorrah that the Bible tells us was just was Lot. That's one person. 
There may have been other people that were saved, but there wasn't ten. We know that from Scripture. But we find out that Abraham doesn't complain to God about it. Do you know why that is? Abraham wasn't really praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. He was praying for his nephew Lot. So the Bible gives the account that uh, Abraham, after he was communing with the Lord, that the Lord left. By the way, the Lord met with Abraham so that he could commune with him. When the communion was done, he left it. There was a purpose to that meeting. That Abraham went back unto his place. When, When God found Abraham, those two men, Lot and Abraham, they had parted ways many years before. And when God found each of them, one of them stayed in Canaan. One of them went to the well-watered plains of Jordan. When he found Abraham, he was in his tent door in the heat of the day, and Abraham jumped up and ran close towards him. And when he came and found Lot, he was in the midst of Sodom and in the midst of sin. Let me tell you, it makes a difference who you associate with. It makes a difference. It makes a difference who you surround yourself with. Lot was a just man. The Bible says this just man vexed his soul day to day. Day to day. And so this man was just. He had been justified. Lot knew the Lord. The Bible tells us that the Lord sent two angels. I'd always kind of wondered why two angels until I realized that's the same two angels. <laughs> uh, those two angels left the presence of the Lord and went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story. We know the story of how the angels get there and they go inside of the, the house of Lot and how that these men, pervert sex addicts is what they were, and we live in a world full of them. Amen? There's places in this country I think they'd try to do the same thing. They try to do the same thing in the same circumstances. Homosexuals, sodomites, that's what they are. And so you say, can they get saved? Sure they can, like any old poor rotten sinner. Like I was a poor rotten sinner, they can come to the Lord and they can be saved as long as they're not a reprobate. The Bible says for this cause God gave them up. I believe there's some of them that God's given up to a reprobate mind, but that's for the Lord in heaven to judge, not me. But I believe if, they can, if, if they're convicted by the Holy Spirit, they can come to the Savior and know Him as their Lord and Savior, and God will change their life. But until He does, it's sin, it's rotten, it's wicked, just like our Phariseeism and self-righteousness is. It's wicked and ungodly. And so they said, bring out these men so we can lie with them, so we can have relations with these men. And uh, Lot said, no, 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 please don't do this. Some of you daddy that have, daddies that have a little girl, your stomach's about to turn. You know what Lot said? Lot said, leave these men. I've got two daughters that have never known a man. You can do whatever you want with them. He wanted to push them out the door. But those angels reached out, and they grabbed Lot, and they pulled him in the door. And about they struck those men blind, and they wandered about. And the Bible tells us by daybreak that they were fleeing from there, and they were making for the mountains. Lot wanted to go to a little plain city of Zoar, and he said, it's just a little one. That's a whole other sermon for another time. But let me tell you something. God could have left Lot in Sodom if He wanted to. And I believe with my heart of hearts. Now listen carefully to me. I understand God's sovereign. I understand He has foreknowledge. I understand that, that uh, He's uh, the author and finisher of our faith. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. I understand that. But I believe the reason those two angels went down to Sodom. What did the Lord say? When He talked to Abraham, the Lord said, I'm going to Sodom. After Abraham talked to the Lord, the Lord didn't go to Sodom. He sent those two men to Sodom. Those two men did not go down. The Lord said, I'm going to find out about the cry of Sodom. Those two men did not go down to find out if Sodom was as bad as uh, it had been said it was. The Lord already knew it was as bad as it had been said it was. Those two men went down to Sodom for the express reason to get Lot and his family. God did something in Lot's life and brought him out of that place. It's tragic. We find that they brought Lot out of Sodom, but Sodom never left Lot. We find the tragedy of his family at the end of Genesis chapter 19. But we find that God intervened, and He intervened on Abraham's behalf because Abraham had interceded on Lot's behalf. I hope that tonight 
faith defendant. The faith of Abraham being used to intervene for the life of another. You have a relationship with an almighty God. You have a prayer life with Him. You have access to the Father. We preached on it Wednesday night with Daniel, his windows being open. You have an open window to converse with God. And I hope that you'll learn in your life how to not use it just for selfish purposes, but how to take those loved ones. Don't, call, don't pray for them generally. Call their name. Don't mix it in with, with your request for a new, new car, new house, or new clothes. But take a period of time, set it aside, and say, Lord, I'm going to spend this time praying for this loved one. I believe God honors that. I believe He honored it in my life, and there's a lot of you that He honored it in your life, and that's the reason you're saved today. Why don't you learn to pray for your loved ones and take them before the Lord God?